everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. It's Kat, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? So, Matt, sometimes, I mean, we've had musicians on before, singers, uh, musicians, songwriters, and, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that, like, a lot of singer-songwriters just, like, I think, pick up the guitar and learn, like, what, three chords or, you know, something. Yeah. Just so they can strum along with, uh, you know, their songs. Sure. Then you've got other ones who, like, you know, are, are like, musicians. You can add that there i mean not i guess are you a musician if you can play three chords i mean i don't know are um, you i would say i mean well i guess there is a difference between like a hobby and a, a you know you where you're doing it for money you're playing out and you know work i mean if you, if you can play three chords really well does that does that make you a musician <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Well, I, nor do I, um, but, you know, I do know that, um, our guest today, she's beyond three chords. Yeah, but, she's a bit of an overachiever, as I recall. Yes, and so, I find it fascinating. Do, do you think that, you think anyone can achieve, you know, like, that level of musicianship, or... Do you think you have to be born with, you know, some kind of gift that you develop? Hmm, that's a tough question. I mean, I guess it it's, you know, a lot of it depends on how much time you devote to it. I mean, they say it takes like 10,000 hours to master something or whatever. So, um, a lot of people don't have that kind of time or that kind of ambition to put towards learning how to play an instrument really well and that sort of thing so i mean i know people who are like really good musicians but they're not like you know they're not out there doing you know like concerts or whatever they're just you know they just play for themselves yeah there there are a lot of really talented people that um you know, either play like with their friends in a you know little garage band, or yeah. uh, just play for the kids, or you know family reunions, or whatever kind of stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, like, how long did you say that you had to devote to like? Ah, uh, they say that like ten thousand hours are you know is well, yeah, something around that is like you know mastery of a subject or an instrument or whatever so i'm just thinking like you know if i devoted my ten thousand hours <laughs> i have to like you know how long that is but um you know i i just don't think i would probably get to that level of um mastery 
Um, yeah, it's certainly, you know, commitment and time for sure. Maybe on piano. Okay. I think that'd be my best um, instrument shot because I can already play that. Right. And I would say I've mastered, mastered it because I haven't played in a while. But, you know, in the day, I could play like pretty well on the piano. Right. Um, guitar or any string instruments like that, you know, I got blisters like after, I don't know, a day. I don't yeah. know how many hours that was. So, you know, I just can't see me putting myself through that torture. <laughs> um, so I, I just know that that's not going to be me, I think. Well, I mean, I guess you could get blisters playing the piano, maybe. I never did. Not one. Not one. Uh-huh. Hmm. No. Now, drums, you know, i that is an instrument I would like to, like, put some hours into. But again, it's like I got the rhythm in my mind, but I don't think I could get, you know, like, <laughs> I just don't think it's in me. Yeah. So I do think you have to have, like, some... Um, some natural talent to get to this higher level. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's... Certainly talent is part of it, but, you know, a lot of of it is sticking to it, and, you know... um, Yes, because you could have, you know, a natural talent that you don't develop, and then it's just wasted, like, you know, you're not going to get to that level that way either. So, I'm guessing Rhonda Vincent, who was our guest today, um, you know, was born with some natural talent and then a really good work ethic to develop that over time. Yeah, I mean, she started out really young, as I recall. Well, uh, I've got so many questions for her. Uh, but I do want to say this. We, you know, we have some really uh, dedicated listeners and participants in our Facebook group. And, you know, we really do appreciate those people that make comments and, you know, get feedback and, and just listen to the episodes. And um, so I want to do a shout out. We don't we do not do it real often. But um, Sharon Westbrook, if you're out there listening, which I know you will be. Um, she is going to see Rhonda Vincent this evening. Oh, cool. And then, yeah, so she'll be seeing her in person. And then she'll get to, you know, listen to our podcast episode. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We definitely appreciate our listeners uh, more than we, you know, more than we tend to say. But, uh, yeah, we do. We do appreciate everyone's comments and feedback and participation and stuff like that that's uh you know it's awesome that we we've gotten a following that we have yeah it's like we're a cult or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're the leaders of the cult yes. of the backstory session yeah <laughs> don't drink kool-aid Matt. yeah 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 i don't like kool-aid do you no i i never <laughs> What I did like, though, um, you remember the little, like, they had these little white-looking, um, I don't know, straw things, but they were hard, and you dipped them down into the, um, like, the powdered sugar Kool-Aid-like stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. They were, uh, fun dips or something like that. Yes, exactly, fun dips, Uh, so... 
you know, I, I did like that, although it seems silly. Like, it seems like something I would not like now, but yeah. maybe wouldn't. But I did then. Where do you stand on milk and Pepsi? <laughs> you know, I, I want to put that into the group because uh, I don't still know, like, how does it pop into your mind? Like, okay, I think it would be cool to pour some milk into my Pepsi. Like, when I'm having my diet Dr. Pepper, not once has it ever occurred to me until this moment um, that I should, like, get some milk and pour into it or pour it into the milk. I mean, which way did it work for you? Um, I, you know, probably poured milk into the Pepsi. Um, Did it not taste good already? Or, I mean... No, no, it's fine. It's just, I don't know, it's sort of like... um, I don't know what to compare it to. Just, you know. You like gotta, a Reese cup? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, like a, a uh, you know, a root beer float is basically... Ice cream. Yeah, which is sort of the same thing. So, I mean, what? ice cream is a little different than milk, but... I mean, yeah. If you let it sit long enough, it will be the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, because this ice cream's always going to be sweeter, because it yeah. does happen. Yeah, true. Yeah, so, I mean, I just, I don't know. Where I, do you come up with these things? Really? I think but, it was something that, like, they used to do in, like, the 50s or something. I, I don't know why or how it all started, but, I mean, if anybody out there knows, they can fill us in. <laughs> Is Matt the only one out there um, that has tried this? So, I don't know, you all can leave your comments, but honestly, um, just pouring milk into your soda for the heck of it seems like, it seems like something you would have seen on TikTok, like, okay, here's some weird challenge, you know, kids go, like, ruin your soft drink with some milk. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there, it's like a, I think Pepsi is, like, uh, promoting this somehow. Yes, uh, you know, I did see that uh, with Lindsay Lohan. So, I mean, there again is another, like, uh, questionable promotion. But, um, yeah, I guess that um, they are wanting people to try this and, like, post, um, you know, on social media about it. So, uh, you know, I... (laughs) I guess it's like putting milk in your coffee or whatever. I mean, same sort of thing. But don't you just do that to kind of cool it down or something? I mean, isn't... I mean, I can't drink black coffee, so... Yeah. I mean, and tea. I can't drink tea without milk, so... But you can drink Pepsi without milk, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say, you know, I tried it once or twice, and that was the end of it. Oh my gosh, it took twice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know either. I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people out there agreeing with you and saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I did that. It's pretty cool. It tastes good. Yeah, I think it's more of like a, oh, like I said, it was, you know, it was a big way back when and then like it kind of petered out and now they're you know pepsi's like oh hey let's try this new thing where you pour milk in your pepsi and so are you going to try it again and i mean can i post you on social media or something Ah, maybe i mean i I don't drink soda that often so 
Well, I mean, you know, you don't have to drink too much of it. <laughs> right, yeah, it could taste like crap, so... <laughs> I'll, I'll pour the most of the part will be milk, yeah. if that's what you prefer, but... Um... It'll be like, oh, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> All right, so Backstory Sessions fans, you'll uh, look in the group in the coming weeks, and uh, you'll you'll see Matt and his milk, and... Yeah, we'll give it a try. Yeah. Well, I'll be behind the scenes taking the photos. I do not um, plan to partake. I think you should. I mean, you know. Uh, I think Dr. Pepper is just perfect already, so <laughs> don't right. need any milk for that. Okay. And milk is also good in root beer, too. As ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I don't know what any of it has to do with Rhonda Vincent, but... Um, Absolutely nothing, but... You know, she's probably smarter to, to do this, or maybe she is doing it, but um, at any rate, this is going to be a great interview. She's multi-talented, and uh, she's had a long career, and just, you know, continues to reinvent and move to the next level, so uh, let's just talk to Rhonda. All right. Sounds good. Here we go. Rhonda Vincent, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions today. It's such an honor to have you as our guest. Well, thank you so much. Great to be here. You know, your name is very familiar to us, uh, not only because of your music and that um, we are big fans, but we had a guest recently, Alex Miller. And he mentioned to you, um, you know, the question we asked him is if he could relive um, 60 seconds of his life every day for the rest of his life, uh, what 60 seconds would he choose? And he mentioned uh, when you invited him to Bluegrass Night at uh, the Ryman and that that would be the 60 seconds he would love to relive every day. So how does it feel to... Uh, be such an influence on um, younger artists or new artists. Well, I think that is amazing. It was great to have Alex uh, at the Ryman with us. And, you know, it's always fun when you know that you get to make someone else's dream come true. I feel very thankful that I have, you know, so many experiences and, and people have done that for me. So, and when they always say, you know, giving is better than receiving, and I think that's that's so very true. So, um, and I love that, you know, you you do a, you play a song or you play the music in your performances, and the next thing you know, you have people coming up after the show because we always sign and and uh, visit after the show, and they'll say, oh, I want to I want to play like you, or I I want to sing like you, and, and I think it's just a wonderful thing. That must be very rewarding um, to be able to connect with with fans um, and even other artists, as in Alex's case, too, um, in that way and to know what an impact that you're having on them. Your music, um, what do you think it is about your music that uh, connects with the fans so much? Well, I think there's an authenticity in bluegrass music. It's not, uh, it's not designed in the studio with technology where there's different sounds. Everything that we do can be replicated 
you know, exactly like what it was in the studio. The voice is the same. Uh, the instrument is the same. You know, we we choose our instruments and uh, specifically because we love the tone of the instrument and they fit us right down to the strings, Dario strings and blue chip picks. And so we we choose all of these things because we love the way they sound. Now, in bluegrass, if I can I can be standing under the tree or I can be standing on stage or wherever we are just right now, you know, talking to you. So whatever we do can can be replicated, you know, and I think that's something that people like. They they're not coming to a show going, well, this is not it sounded like this on the record, but this is not what it sounds like here. Hmm. You know, we um, people seem to be surprised at that, you know, the harmonies. And anyway, what everything that we do. There's this wonderful authenticity. It's so real, and I think people love that. A lot of times, there's a there has been a stigma with bluegrass because they don't go out. Maybe I don't like this, or you know, I didn't really like maybe Bill Monroe or Ralph Stanley or some of the earlier bluegrass that they've heard. But they come to our show and they say, "Well, I don't like bluegrass, but I like you." <laughs> so I'm <laughs> whatever they whatever just so they like us and they like the music. That's all. I don't care what they call it. It's okay. So you mentioned um, influences that, um, you know, that were kind of mentors for you or in the way that you were for Alex, um, someone that you could look up to. And I know Loretta Lynn, um, just a passing of her. I wondered if she had any role like that for you. Absolutely. I've been listening to Loretta Lynn for as long as I can remember. Now, my mother, now this is taking you back to for the folks who are born like my guitar player, my youngest or my guitar player is the youngest guy in the group. And he was born in 2000. So he's never heard of a codophone or shorthand. You know, that's kind of a, a, a <laughs> cursive writing, a short. It's almost like uh, hashtags long ago right. uh, as a whole different language. But my mother would listen to Loretta Lynn songs and she would by listening to the radio, write them out in shorthand. That's how my family, growing up in a musical family, that's how they learned songs. They would listen to this song, memorize the melody of the song. My mother would be writing them down in shorthand so she could type them out later. And uh, so my mom, any brand new Loretta Lynn song, my mother was learning it. And I, we still have the book. My mother made a book of typed songs, and most of them are Loretta Lynn songs because she was, we just loved her. You know, and then it was years later when I actually got to meet with her and work with her. It was 1985. Uh, I was working with Jim Ed Brown, and we did a show with her. And after the show, she was signing, and we were standing in front of the stage. It was Loretta and me and and uh, Jim Ed. And it was the craziest thing ever. But, you know, in the crowd's enthusiasm, they started rushing the stage. And I had never experienced this before. The security guards reached down and grabbed Loretta and they grabbed me and they pulled us. We were about to be crushed by the crowd because they saw us standing there and they just all of a sudden this mass of people just started running towards us. Hmm. So luckily they saved us. And it's like, I remember being amazed that this is Loretta Lynn. And I mean, this is long past coal miner's daughter and the movie and all of this, all of this incredible fame that she had. She's still standing out here talking and meeting and signing for everyone i just thought that's that is so amazing that no matter what her status is and no no matter how popular that she is that she still continued to do that so um what was the reaction of you and her you know it sounds like rather scary so did you laugh about it like after or 
they've set chairs. I mean, it was just all happened so quickly. You know, they just grabbed us. I'm like, what is happening to us? I had no idea. But we just got chairs and then we sat on the stage. Um, we sat up on the stage then and, and people would bring stuff up and have them sign after that. So uh, it, we just continued to, to do the signing. Wow. That's quite a memory to have. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and then I saw her one other time. I have a picture from that. It's in this lavender dress. And it was at the Ryman during the Opry. And I went to talk to her. I got to visit with her for a while. And she had this lavender dress she had just gotten. And I, it had a scratchy collar. She was, she kept digging at her neck. And she said, this collar is so scratchy. And it was driving her crazy. And I remember leaving. Every time I see that picture, I think of how scratchy that collar was. And I saw her wearing it for, you know, weeks later. And I've always wondered, did she ever get put some lining or something <laughs> in that collar? Did she ever fix that dress? And I'm thinking... This is Loretta Lynn. She should not have a dress <laughs> that is scratching her and driving her crazy. Right? Exactly. <laughs> well, we can only hope that she did find some way to fix that. So she didn't have to continue to have a scratchy neck of all the things. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> so what was it like growing up in a musical family? Well, I thought that's what everyone else was doing. I mean, um, when I was five, we had a television show and a radio show, made our first recording. It was a just this very concentrated life of music. Got started school, and my dad would pick me up from school, or when I got home from school, we would sing and play till, till dinner. After dinner, friends came over, and we would play till bedtime. So it was a very intense life of music. My father had a car wreck when I was two, broke his neck not expected to live, let alone walk. And, um, and he, you know, he said, give Lord, if you'll give me one good leg, I'll drag the other one. And that's exactly what happened. Um, he gained his mobility by walking with a cane. And I think because of that, he kept us closer. It was like, we were always playing. We were always, you know, doing something with him because he couldn't chase after us. If you got in trouble, he would point and say, you better not run, you know, because he couldn't run after us. And boy, he would get his cane and he would make his way. Of course you had to run. He would get his cane and make his way. And when he got you, you regretted that you ran from him because, but, but I think he kept us close and we played and he always had us playing the music. First of all, that's traced back five generations of the Vincent family for us, or I am in the fifth generation. My daughter Sally is now continues uh, with the sixth generation. She is she just made history, uh, just got out of boot camp, and she is the very first female lead singer for the United States Navy band Country Current. Wow. And they just played the Grand Ole Opry, and I, I'm just so proud of her. So. Um, Music continues in our family, but it was, you know, at that time, it was just what we did. I didn't really think about it, and it was all really fine and good until I got to be a teenager, and you know how teenagers are anyway, <laughs> but when you are are stuck at home playing music with all of the grandpa or with uh, your dad and your mom and all these, these older friends and Barb Wheeler and Tommy Parsons are at the skating rink and you don't get to go cause you're playing music. You know, there were some rebellious years, I guess, but we were, <laughs> you know, we, we were always playing it evolved. It's like a way of life that evolved into uh, a career. So I am so thankful now. 
what instrument did you start with? What was the first? Six years old, my dad got me a snare drum, a stand, and a set of brushes. Probably the only, it was probably the only instrument that wasn't in the Sally Mountain Show, you know, because I started singing when I was three, so automatically joined the group. We were called, we had a TV show called the Sally Mountain Show, so that's the name we continued performing with. But it was because it was not just the Vincent family, because it was my Grandpa Bill, my mom and dad, Aunt Catherine, Uncle Pearl, my cousin. It was, you know, Grandpa, Mom and Dad, Aunt's, Uncle's, Cousins. And it was also friends. So there was a big group of people, in addition to the family, um, called the Sally Mountain Show. So I think the snare was probably the only available instrument. Everything else was taken. And uh, then at eight years old, we played at a country music show in Marceline, Missouri. Here's a little trivia for you. Uh, what Marceline, Missouri is the boyhood home of what famous person? Mm. All right. Any idea? Well, I'll go ahead. Anyway, it's Walt Disney. Oh. And oh, there was a place called the Frontier Jamboree in Marceline. And it was always that Marceline is always famous. I, I bet there's still a sign there that says the boyhood home of Walt Disney. But at this country music show, uh, I was, I guess we started there when I was seven, but I was eight years old, and the the, the uh, manager or the owner, uh, Buck Cody, it was simple economics, and he said, anyone who doesn't play an instrument doesn't get paid. Now, each musician got $10, <laughs> and so my dad was playing electric guitar, banjo, fiddle. He was kind of like the utility man. My mom was playing the upright bass. There was a whole cast of people, and there was a lot of wives that would just sing, so they would get to sing, but they weren't going to get paid, and I was just singing. My dad said next week, he said, here's a mandolin, here's G, C, and D, and you're going to be playing this for two and a half hours every Saturday night. <laughs> so we were getting, I would get in the $10 for playing. So that's how I that's how I actually started playing an instrument, and, and that's become my probably my favorite, one I'm most comfortable with. I play guitar, and, and Phil, I play a little bit of, of all the stringed instruments, but some better than others. <laughs> wow. So you got your $10. <laughs> I didn't. Hell, oh, wait a minute. Let me clarify that. I don't think I saw that $10. <laughs> I think that went to dad. <laughs> so um, as you get into high school years, then as you're a teenager, um, are you active in school music programs or did you just rebel against that part? Oh, we're still, we're now, by now, as a teenager, you know, we're traveling pretty much every weekend playing bluegrass festivals, because we went to our first one, and, and that's when my dad, I think he discovered, wow, I, we, we can play bluegrass music, but now, because the way, when it was early on the Sally Mountain Show, we would do a mixture of, my Aunt Catherine would sing like Kitty Wells, Mom would sing Loretta Lynn, uh, Grandpa might sing a Bill Monroe song, uh, my uncle would sing a Jimmy Martin song. Dad might sing Porter Wagner. So it was this melting pot of not really a, a stark difference between um, playing country music and bluegrass music. But then they went to their first festival. I think it was 1969. And that's when he said, ooh, I can, I can take my family and play these festivals and make a living doing that. So, you know, I get to be, I'm in high school. I'm uh, you know, we're traveling. In fact, I would be gone for weeks at a time and I would get my studies in advance and because mm -hmm. I, I always try to keep my work up. Uh, I will tell you 
it was, and I don't know if this would have been my freshman year, sophomore year. I'll have to go back because I think my mom has all of my grade cards. <laughs> and there was only two, there was three times that my dad ever went to school. And the first was <laughs> in elementary school. And I must have came home and told him that one of the boys in music class could not sing on pitch. He was like tone deaf. He could not. And so my dad went to school and asked them not to let me sit by this person. (laughs) (laughs) He did not. He wanted me (laughs) to be able to sing on pitch. So he had them. She said, please. You know, we were sitting in alphabetical order in music class. But they she asked the music teacher not to allow not to have me sit by this kid. So they moved me. And then it was probably in about fourth grade uh, that we were playing badminton. And the um, somebody came in a backswing and they sprained my wrist uh-huh. and I couldn't play that weekend. My dad went to school and said, please do not let her play any badminton. She has to play music. So please, no sport. So I had to sit out when we played badminton because dad would not let me do that. So I now now fast forward to probably my my sophomore year, freshman year in high school. And I had all A's on my grade card except one class, chorus. Wow. Wow. And my got a D in chorus. Wow. And my dad went to school and asked the teacher to please explain to him how we made our living singing and playing music and how she would give give me a D in chorus. And she had no explanation except she didn't. All we did was sing. There was no written tests or anything. Right. So she devised a thing after that. I I, th- I don't really never did really understand this, unless she was just jealous or didn't like the fact that we played. Yeah. So she ended up having written tests, and so I took the written test. And I've never told anybody this. I probably shouldn't even be talking about this. So so anyway, she had a written test. And so the next time when we t- I took the test, and she accused me of cheating on the test. Oh, no. And I oh. thought, what is what does this lady have against me? I remember running to the, asking to go to the restroom and just crying. And it's like, I don't understand what's going on here. But <laughs> anyway, we had a rough time there a little bit in chorus. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's come to regret that now. Um, you know, like, well, do you, here's the ironic thing. So my first, when my record came out in country music in, uh, what is it, 1994, and I did a signing for my record at Walmart, and guess who was the first person in line to get one signed? <laughs> it was that teacher. That's awesome. Pretty crazy. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Wow. Dear teacher who gave me a D. Thanks a lot. In chorus. (laughs) Wow. That is some backstory for sure. So from there, um, you go to, um, was it You Can Be a Star that you um, competed on? Yes, 1985. And you were the winner. I won my day. I didn't win the week, but what I did, I went to work for Jim Ed Brown two weeks later. Mm. He hired me. As soon as he heard me sing the first song, he went to my parents and he said, I want this girl in my band. I want to hire her. 
and uh, two weeks later, and I would what I didn't like quit singing with my family. I would fly in, I would play with Jim Ed Brown, and then I would run to have them drop me at an airport, and I would fly in and when I could and play um, at festivals with my mom and dad when when uh, Jim Ed wasn't working. So I was I was working double time almost. Uh, how old were you then, Rhonda? Well, I was born in 62. You'll have to do the math. Okay. It was like 20, <laughs> 20 <Yeah>. something. <laughs> so, the, 23. So, I, I, read, I read somewhere that you studied accounting in college. Is that true? That's true. That's true. I love loved accounting. And my it, my senior year, I, I was a COE student, they called it, where I went to school half a day and right. I worked the other half. And so I was a bookkeeper at the Greentop Lumber Company. Um, <laughs> he's the only guy that would hire me because my family was always gone. Right. You know, we were playing. And uh, Friel Galloway hired me and would let me, I would come home on a Sunday night and I'd work up until the midnight, one o'clock in the morning to catch all the books up and I would do all the counting. But yeah, then I, then I later took accounting in, in college along with some photography classes. I love, I love photography, mm-hmm. but loved accounting. I still do. And I, it's valuable, valuable knowledge that, that I use every day. You know, we, I don't think anyone should be allowed to graduate high school unless they can balance their checkbook. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because we got to use that every day, you right, know? yeah. Or make change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, is that the craziest? <laughs> I've had some experiences with that, too. <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> Just yesterday at the grocery store. <laughs> it was seventy six dollars and fifty eight cents, and I gave her seventy seven dollars. Yeah, and they just look at you blankly, like she was kind of. <laughs> yeah, she thought I still owed her six dollars. It's like <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That's oh, crazy, isn't it? I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I guess that part of it makes me think of. What I know you had the musical talent and you had like all this practice and all the performance, but what uh, did accounting or what prepared you for the business aspect of, of the business? Because music is more than just having the talent, I, I imagine. Well, I'm traveling. I've traveled for most of my life or I had uh, with my family. And probably my parents were the greatest teachers of, you know, they're the teachers of, of pretty much everything. I mean, I'm spending most of my time. I go to school, but my I only went to school to hurry home to start playing music. But even though music was this way of life, we, we every time we would go, every every show that we did, or every weekend really, so we took the money. My I guess they would have the money that we made, and my mother had a it was a cake pan up in the cabinet and in the cake pan every trip there were the receipts and a paper that said we made this much this was our expenses and every week she would paper clip all of the receipts together and that at the end of the year that cake pan was filled with all with with paper clipped receipts and all of these were for every trip and so she probably taught us just watching that you know you don't realize that you're learning mm-hmm. but when you see this and you know you learn this is what they're doing and and managing the money i remember it i was in seventh grade we went to 
uh, Harlingen, Texas, and played at a place called Six, Six Shooter Junction. I went to school in San Benito for a little bit during seventh grade. My dad, because we were working, we were playing at this amusement park seven days a week on Saturday nights or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think there were there were shows at the country music show. But then we would play in the park. So we were playing every day. Wow. And I remember at one time my dad, he's and he would do this on occasion. But he at this point, he said, we're making more money than we've ever made in our life, which probably still wasn't a lot. But for us, that was a lot. That was a lot of money. And he held he he fanned out a whole bunch of cash in front of us. Hmm. And he told me, he said, if there's anything that you want, he said, take the money and go go buy it. And I'll, I just couldn't believe I had never seen this much money, even though it probably wasn't that much. You know, you're, you're this is the this is the 70s. So but I think I just took a 20 um, and my brother, of course, grabbed a whole handful of <laughs> <laughs> a handful of those. And I'm like, I was like, oh, I don't want to take too much of this, but, you know, to be, uh, I don't know, more frugal, I guess. But uh, but I remember him doing that. And there, that would happen on occasion, I guess. Probably when he had, he got a little surplus of money, he would he would uh, offer us to get whatever. And my brothers would always just, they'd just grab hands full of money. And I should have, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't do that. I should have. Mm. Uh, do you remember what you would buy with it? Like, uh, usually I would go buy records. Or I remember one time I did take a, a little added because there was a stereo system that I wanted, mm-hmm. and I went, I, I, I got the money and I went to town and I bought it. That's back when you had uh, the component, you had the speakers, and everything was an individual components. Right. Yeah. And uh, and I would each time I would would add to that. So. But always, you know, probably the same thing I do today. I make money, but it usually goes back into the music that we're making in some way. I'm still, I think I'm still a lot like that. Um, I just told the guys because we started a new project uh, probably two or three months ago. And I just told them uh, this next week we're going to be in Nashville. And I said, we need to spend every waking moment, you know, recording. So here goes the money back that we made from our last project that was Grammy nominated. Now we're putting it right back into a new project. Mm. And that sounds pretty exciting to um, have that opportunity to, you know, to reinvest into something that you (laughs) want to try new, like to expand. Um, And the Grammy, since you mentioned that um, you actually uh, won a Grammy for best, bluegrass album is that correct that's correct 2017 uh we won a grammy for uh it was a project called all the rage volume one it was on dvd and it was on uh, on cd so always very exciting uh to win a grammy and this year i got to go out to the we were nominated and i went out to las vegas to the grammy so it's just a wonderful fun experience i met so many new people and i just started you know all these there's so many outfits all, everybody's <laughs> got some of these wild and crazy uh costumes and i just started going up on the red carpet and saying any any beautiful gown or whatever I saw, I would just say, "Hey, can we get a picture together?" <laughs> and I saw this this gal did not pay attention who it is. I just saw the gown. The chain cape she had on was thirty thousand dollars. I can't imagine what the dress was. Wow. wow! But I got a picture with her and visited with her for a second, 
And as I turned around, it was Paris Hilton. (laughs) That's one of the fun things that I love about the music business and getting to go to things like this. You meet people from all different walks of life and all different genres. Uh, Have you ever been starstruck with anyone that you've met? I would say I was a bit starstruck when I met Elton John. Mm. He is just so, I mean, has done everything. His music is amazing. And and we were, we were just so fortunate to get to, uh, I got to sing, do a duet with Dolly on the Bernie Toppin Elton John tribute project they did commemorating their 50 years of music. And so from that, and we had a number one bluegrass uh, song, the, the song was Please, and, and it became a number one bluegrass song. And they brought me in, and I got to meet Elton after his show in Nashville. And he just wrapped his arms around me, and he said, I've never had a, blue, a number one bluegrass song before. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. This is Elton John. He's done everything. So, but so nice. <laughs> oh, that is nice. Um, so what is next for you? I mean, you've, you've made it to... Um, be inducted into the Opry, you won a Grammy, you won competitions. Uh, what is the new project that you're investing in? What do you... I mean, it's, it's that's always the challenge, I think, is making something unique that you haven't done before. Uh, so I always try to you know, what What can we do this time that we haven't done? And, and this one is taking... And it's interesting, too, as you get started recording the turns that it might take that you didn't really expect or the cover or there's just so many different elements to it. So I'm, we're kind of in the, you know, it's in the beginning stages. We've tracked it. And I think I'm going to have some surprises that, that people would never expect. Like the last one we did, I think the first bluegrass version of unchained melody Mm. and no one saw that coming. And so I think we have kind of the same on this new one. Uh, It, it, has taken on a theme of uh, destinations is, is kind of the, going to be the theme of this. So the songs are kind of dictate different destinations. Interesting. So now my curiosity is peaked. I guess. Oh, good. <laughs> when, when do you think sometime next year or like early next year? Yeah, I would say it'll it'll be next year at some point. We've just started it and and it usually takes a bit to get all the recording done and and you know, just the the entire process and we're probably beginning our busiest time ever of the year. So, uh it it'll be at least, you know, first quarter, second quarter of next year probably. Exciting. Well, Matt, what do you think? Uh yeah, sure certainly uh sounds pretty interesting and sounds like you're gonna be busy or you're already busy um like how many how many shows do you do a year now has it slowed down any or you st- i mean we've just from 2020 go doing you know zero shows right you know we're now ramped up to where we i just had that discussion with my agent today it's like we probably are going to have to start scheduling a time some some breaks my my uh, musicians, they have small, small children. You know, my children are grown. I have a grandson now, but uh, my musicians have certain times they want to see their children. So if I want to keep a band, I need to be conscious of that. And so we're probably (laughs) going to build in, uh, you know, it's like, it's kind of scary because after 2020, it's like, who thought that could ever happen? Right. So you really want to say, Hey, let's just 
let's just keep this going because what if it what if it stopped again? Right, and they're but, all like, uh, "Hey, I need off on Christmas," you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we take off. So we take off Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, but other than that, we're pretty much fair game. People say, "Oh, are you on tour?" It's like, listen, we stay on tour. Mm. <laughs> so never come um, off the road. No, we. You know, it's it's pretty much every week, and that's what my agent was telling me. I only have. From now until next November in 2023, I only have two Saturdays that we're not booked. Oh, wow. So that's what he was saying. Um, are you sure? Do you want me? He said, do you want me to kind of ramp this down? Yeah. You know, what? because it's like, no, I'd keep going. Keep going. <laughs> if we get too much, we'll let you know. And then, and then you put on, in addition to our dates, then we, we also do the Grand Ole Opry quite often. Like, we just got added to it for two days this week for next Sunday and on Tuesday. Wow. So when you do our regular dates and then you have those dates, it's like, um, yeah. it, it just becomes <laughs> a, a constant, which I'm so glad, you know, my entire life has been music and I, I love it. Well, we're certainly very fortunate that you were able, that we were able to have you as a guest because, um, you're in high demand. So, uh... <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. They're so kind. I hope that you will come back and talk to us again because there's so many other things that we haven't been able to talk about. But uh, um, if you have, you know, if you have time, we'd love to schedule another uh, podcast with you. Anytime. That would be great. All right. Yeah. I know that destination. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You've already got a hint of the next project, don't you? All right, Rhonda. Uh, we'll let you go. Uh, thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. Uh, come back anytime. Thank you. Take care. All right, All you right. too. Bye. Bye. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.